Wars Next Podcast. I'm Brandon. I've got my great co-host Dag with me. How you doing, Dag? And I'm doing great, dude. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Uh, we've always got a great guest on, uh, coming on, but today we've got David with uh, Agoras Woodworking. But before we get into it, I uh, wanted to talk about pre-search, decentralized search engine, get paid to search. Uh, no, no spying, yeah. no censorship. Uh, and, and yeah, like Brandon said, you get crypto just by using it. Uh, it's a really cool really cool search engine and again like why 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 are like you the product for google like you should be making money <laughs> you know instead of them making money off of you so you know it's really simple to make that switch guys so definitely check it out exactly and um the thing too is that you can you can mine it as well uh and get um get rewards so like uh you know help the search engine and and get rewarded at the same time so uh you can't get passive income that way. But um, with that said, we've uh, we've got Dave with Agorist uh, Woodwork. I'm good, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, man. So, uh, uh, what's your so, take? Uh, what's your take on agorism? How'd you get into agorism? I guess we'll start out start out with that. So, my path to uh, agorism started a number of years ago, and as I was, I've worked for the government in different facets unfortunately for about a decade now but a number of years ago uh, I realized when people were talking about you know making x amount of dollars an hour like oh yeah I make uh, 15 dollars an hour down at the local stop and shop or whatever um, what they were really saying was they were selling their life to somebody for 15 dollars an hour and they were measuring their life in dollars and it was a false reality and instead of selling it in eight to 12 hour chunks for the US dollar, only to have the US government steal a third of it, I, I decided I had had enough. And I went back to working for less traceable means of currency. And as of now, my wife and I are on the transition over to the most extreme form of agorism that we can realistically accomplish. That sounds great. And what do you mean exactly by the most extreme form of agoras well you don't mind me asking i guess it started off no 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 not at all so i guess you know as an anarchist or an agorist or you know whatever you may label yourself as they go hand in hand in my mind but right you have a couple options you can violently take up arms and try and fight the u.s government it isn't going to work out well, probably for you. <laughs> and I was like, well, since that's out, I need to go down the agorism route. And so we started our homestead. And overall, I think with agorism, it's a, instead of trying to beat them at their game, you're just saying, I'm not playing your game. Like I'm going to be a producer rather than a consumer. Cause when I'm a consumer, I'm under your thumb. When I'm a producer, you know, I have freedom. God damn it, that's good. Yeah, absolutely, man, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, do you want to yeah. do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about um, yourself, maybe Agorist Woodworking, and then I also um, uh, I also heard that you were doing like you're a, a medic and stuff too, or you were a medic. Yeah, or... yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, I guess I'll start with Agorist Woodwork. Um, so that is my company. I'm the founder. I'm the lead craftsman. And pretty much what I do is I work with our customers from the moment of conception of their idea to the uh, process of building it out and designing it to the actual construction of the piece. And we deal with all sorts of things made out of wood, 
We've done barn doors, headboards, tables, coffee tables. Uh, I made some lock picking props for Pat over at Uncensored Tactical, who I know you guys know. Yeah, he's um, awesome. We've yeah, made awesome. push a block. Yeah, and cutting boards, pretty much everything. I'm working on a chessboard and some built-ins right now for a kitchenette. So pretty much if you can think of it and it's made of wood, um, I can build it. And then my wife has her own little side business that goes hand in hand with mine. So together we're, we're working things out pretty well. That's great, man. How uh, long have you been doing the woodwork? So the business as a business, we have, I started in August of last year amidst the COVID stuff. Um, that played a big part in it as well. Um, the whole, how the, how the whole company came to fruition really just happened overnight. And it was a accumulation of COVID working for the government and a couple of other things that we can get into if you want. And it, it just started, I started working for myself. And then after sharing what I've been building and what I had learned, um, people were like, well, can you build that for me? And I was like, you know what? The capitalist in me was like, hell yeah, I can build that for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What, um, we can ask now you said, you said your wife was doing something that had that, uh, that went hand in hand with what you were doing? Yeah. So my wife has her own uh, agorist business. It's called Sassy Handmade. And basically what she does is she makes um, custom epoxy resin cured tumblers. She makes custom wooden and signs and canvases. She makes rolling trays, bong tumblers, grinders, uh, all sorts of like cool stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So with her um she also does a lot of vinyl work too so now we're incorporating some of the vinyl work into the woodworking so if i build a kitchen table for you know the for you guys we can put your logo on the front of it or we can put it on the top we can put last names and stuff like that on all our work and people seem to really like that so it's it's working out well she's like a like a plotter like a cutting plotter for the vinyl yeah. Yep. She, man, she's got like a whole factory set up in our house. Like it's crazy. Every day she comes home, she's got more cups, more vinyl. Like she's always digging through my wood pile, trying to steal my wood. I'm like, no, you can't have that. Like I need that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we, uh, we have a little farmstead and yeah, we, uh, it is funny. We both have our own individual product projects, you know, but it's, it's so nice to be able to, you know, to have that and be able to work with your, you know, significant other at home, you know, spend time together while doing your own thing. It's, it's really a lot of fun. We're trying really hard to get to where, you know, neither of us have to leave the farm for, you know, work, you know, so, you know, we can just do everything here at our house. Like it's, like it's work, but man, it's not the same as getting in the car and deal with traffic and going some other place. And, you know, it's, a. Uh, you know, you can eat lunch in your own house, <laughs> you know, there, there's so many nice perks. Exactly. And it's just like, like I, I've been slaving away processing chickens all week. Like it's a lot of work, but it's like, man, like I'm building my own thing. You know, I'm not building somebody else's thing. I'm building my own thing. And it's just so much more rewarding. It's so much more satisfying. It's always more satisfying to work for yourself rather than working for the man. You know, um, yeah. one of the biggest eye opening moments for me was, you know, as a firefighter and a paramedic, I'm gone for 24 hours at a time. And, like I missed my wife. Like I genuinely enjoy her company. And when I'm working in the shop, she'll come some, she'll come down to the shop and, 
hang out and then we can take a break whenever I want to. Like, there's no one saying, Hey, your lunch break is now. It's like, well, my wife isn't here yet and I don't really want to stop working. So I'll keep working. And then she'll, she'll come down and tell me, you know, she's got food ready and I'll stop when I want to. And, you know, I find that I actually work longer hours for myself than I do for anybody else because I have vested interest in it. it it's my company. It's, it's my brand. So I, I tend to work longer hours. I work harder and I genuinely care more, you know? Yeah. The product's got your name on it. You know what I mean? You want it to be, you know, as perfect as possible. Whereas if, you know, <laughs> you're slinging burgers from McDonald's, you don't care if it looks like the commercial, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, exactly. you a lot more pride in it. <laughs> um, how, uh, so you've been doing this as a business for what, gosh, it's what about six months or so now. Um, how long have you actually been right. practicing woodworking? Cause it definitely sounds like you have some skills and I know that's not something you won't, you know, you only get in six months. So how do you, um, how do you get started? You know, just, just playing. There might, I'm not going to phrase it like that. How'd you, how'd you get started yeah. <laughs> practicing woodworking? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I grew up doing electrical work and construction and just, you know, my dad was very, is, wasn't, he is a very blue collar um, tradesman kind of guy. And we grew up on some land and I spent some time on my uncle's farm and I just kind of developed like that skill. I don't know what you call it, but it's like that ability to construct things like whether it's, you know, plumbing or electrical work, like you got to have that kind of blue collar skill or mindset to, to get, make this kind of stuff happen. Um, mm -hmm. And that started at a young age. But as far as getting into actual woodworking, that's all been within the last year. Now, I had a huge advantage to most people because my grandfather has been building cabinets and custom furniture for over 70 years. So when I began this, I had 70 years of experience being drilled into my head that I didn't have to learn the hard way. And many times, if I didn't listen, I still did learn the hard way. And over time of just him guiding me um, through what is correct and what is not correct and what will last and how furniture has changed over the years to become uh, more affordable, well, more affordable for the manufacturer, not for the consumer, but more affordable for the manufacturer to produce and how it's become junk, essentially, and the materials used and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, there are so many different, you know, there's everything from like I see on like, a, you know, like PBS or whatever. There's a show that I absolutely love. It's called The Woodwright Shop. And this goofy dude makes all sorts of stuff, but he doesn't use any power tools whatsoever. Like, I mean, like hand drills and hand saws. And it's just like insane, you know, the amount of work, you know, and then then and I also really enjoy the other the other like woodworking shows where they have, you know, the most top of the line equipment and the stuff that you know, they can make with that. And it's really neat. But it's almost like I kind of like the like, you know, like somewhere in the middle, you know, of where, you know, you're using tools, you're not cost using a handsaw. It's just I, I, I can't imagine living in a time when we didn't have a circular saw, you know, um, but like, right. But, you know, you still want some some fucking some soul in it, you know, <laughs> you still want some sort of hand exactly. hand touch if you're having a nice piece of furniture. Right. So uh, as a rule of thumb, there's three kinds of hand shops and you just hit all three. You got the traditional, which is the Woodwright show you were talking about. 
Uh, you have a more industrial, modern, contemporary kind where they have, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars easily put into machinery. And then you have like my shop and my shop is a combination. So yes, we use circular miter saw. Yes, we have a awesome, you know, saw stop table saw. We have joiners, we have planers, but we also have hand planes. We have hand chisels. Um, we use mallets. We still cut our dovetails by hand. And I think something that sets us apart is while we do take rough cut lumber, um, and use machinery to get it square because it is the most accurate way. There are machines that were developed for efficiency and time, not necessarily quality. So being able to sort through what is efficient for quality versus time and use the machinery to save time and using hand tools where you can't skimp on quality is kind of where we shine. Um, and we have the ability to cut corners and some people request that we do. Um, typically we just kind of turn them down um, because if we're gonna build something that we brand, um, and when I say brand, we physically brand all of ours with a, uh, like a, a, the brand you would use on cattle. If, if it's not branded, it wasn't made by us and it didn't meet our approval. So if we're gonna brand it, we're gonna do it right. That's good to hear. Cool. Man. <clears throat> Yeah, dropped out there for a second, so I hope I didn't miss anything too good. But the branding definitely sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's great. Because, uh, um, yeah, that I think that's a, a a big problem with some of these corporate places that that you uh, that you see is that everything's just kind of like this is what you get, and um, and you know, there's not that uh, that that quality that you see. You know, a lot of people say, "What's that saying?" Um, uh, the saying goes, uh, it's not built like it used to be. And I think a lot of these like mom and pop, you know, Gorish owned businesses, we're starting to see that, um, that quality that, you know, this is how it's supposed to be built. And that, that's just, for me, that's just so, you know, satisfying to hear. But um, yeah, if like, it's funny, you mentioned that saying, if you go to our website, um, it's agorastwoodwork.com. If you go to our website and you go to, I think it's the about us page. Um, we put a quote up on there that I said, and I say it all the time to my customers because uh, everyone says they don't build them like they used to. And I've always said in a world where they don't build them like they used to, we still do. Um, <laughs> and I stand by that. You know, I tell all my customers, our pieces are guaranteed for life. Unless you're dragging it behind a truck from, you know, Virginia to Texas, it's not going to break. Like, it's just, they're not going to break. I know they're not. <laughs> so I'm more than happy to stand behind my work because I know that I'm not cutting corners and it's getting done right. What, um, what all, what all do you sell? What all, what all do you guys have? So really, this is kind of something I've been juggling with on which direction I want to take the company. And I think I've pretty much had the market make the decision for me. Um, we've tried this thing where we keep things in stock and it's, it hasn't really turned out too well because most of the time what happens is we, we make something and somebody will contact us and um, they'll say, Hey, I want this. And I'm like, great. It's already done. And they're like, no, no, I want it to have this and that and this and that. And I'm like, okay. So realistically, this is just kind of a showpiece. And then I end up having to construct an entire another piece. So 
essentially the way it typically works is somebody reaches out to me um, and they say, I would like a table built. And I'm like, okay, well, let's start with size. And then we can go into wood choices, finish choices, drawers, shelves, how many shelves, how many drawers, um, what kind of trim pattern do you want? And, you know, do you want, uh, we've done this thing where we route out the bottom of the table and we can put like a wireless cell phone charger that's hidden. So you can put your phone on the table and it'll charge through the tabletop, but there's no wires. So it's really clean looking. Oh, nice. Um, nice. So that's essentially how it works is now we do pretty much all custom work. And I mean, anything you can think of something like, see, well, I'll just tell you what we've been working on. So uh, I just finished building a built-in bench for a kitchen nook and I've got two floor to ceiling shelving units for it uh, with cabinetry and then we're doing an all walnut table for him pretty soon. I've got a bathroom vanity. I'm about to start this week, uh, a trash can, uh, like cabinet that slides out. So it kind of looks like a kitchen cabinet, but when you pull the handle, the trash can is actually on drawer slides. Uh, I've got some stovetop covers. I just finished a barn door, um, for a pantry that, uh, a guy down in Southwest Virginia wanted replaced. And he's getting 10 more doors from me. So, I mean, really, it's anything. It's anything. Like, if you send us a picture of what you're thinking, we work with you to design it. And then uh, we build it. And we kind of take whatever you're thinking and put it in your home. Nice. It's yeah. excellent. All the um, the pictures on your website look uh, look gorgeous. How do, you, how do you go about finding customers for this kind of stuff? So, let's see. Really, right now... I would say the number one um, way that people find us is actually through Facebook Marketplace. It seems I wasn't sure I wanted to go that route because I, I hate Facebook. Like I hate <laughs> Facebook, but I was like, man, I want to have a successful business. And the reality of the world we live in is 90, I would say 90 to 95% of the people at least have Facebook. And we saw over the years, Craigslist used to be this huge ordeal, right? So I put some stuff on Craigslist and nothing sold. And then I put it on Facebook and bit the bullet. And I am like struggling to keep up with the business, which is good. And I'm not complaining, but Facebook marketplace, unfortunately, is a big one for us. Uh, Twitter, um, a lot of the stuff I post on Twitter, people love, but people are so spread out that it's hard to ship a table, which is actually sure. something uh, we can talk about if you want, but I've got some pretty cool ideas on what we're going to be doing in the future to solve that. But right now it's mostly just Facebook and word of mouth. And honestly, uh, it seems once we make one thing for somebody, we usually make about three or four more because they buy that one thing and they're like, holy crap, like, this is nice. Like we could have never gotten this from Ashley or Wayfair or whatever. And, I mean, honestly, I think we're pretty pretty competitively priced. Like, uh, I think on average, I'm within plus or minus 150 bucks of the equivalent of Lowe's or Ashley. But I'm like probably oh, wow. three or four times the quality. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's very reasonable. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's not going to, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to have stuff as, you know, 
I mean, it's like cheap, you know, as, as, as what, uh, as, as what they sell places like that, but being, being that close, that's, you know, that's totally reasonable, you know, because a lot of times you might find something handmade, you know, that's three, four times as much as, uh, yeah. And we can definitely go down that route. Like, I mean, if you want it truly custom, like there's, there's a one gentleman who just reached out to me. He wants a, a dining room table that is in three leaves and pulls out to reveal a poker table with eight hidden drawers and cup holders. And yeah, it's awesome. Like I want to build it, but the problem is where in theory, yes, I can do it for X amount of dollars. The amount of time I'm going to lose on it, I wouldn't make any money. Like it would be better for me to make, you know, a thousand cutting boards in that time and sell them for, you know, $50 a piece because his budget just doesn't reach that level of, you know, custom woodwork because it, it, it's really custom. I've got, I would have to make yeah, was- custom drawers and custom drawer slides and it, it would be insane. So I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Yeah. I hope it does, but. It'd be a great project, but yeah, I was just thinking like, yeah, just, just quoting that would sound like a nightmare. You know, because, oh, man, that'd be so hard to estimate the time on something like that. And, yeah, it's it's pretty difficult, especially because of the design. Like, he sends three pictures, and he said, I want this from this table and that from this table and that from that table. And I'm like, okay, we can do that. Like, that's what we do. Um, a, a lot of times, that's how people tell us what they want is they send pictures, and then I do an architectural drawing of it, and then they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And then we build it. But he's like, yeah, people are making it for three grand. And I was like, there's no way, man. There's no way. Like, it can't be done. I'm telling you. Like, I don't know a lot in this world, but I do know about woodwork. And there's no way that's getting done for three grand. And so I did like a a stalker Google search on the table. And the table was $3,200 and made from particle board. And I was like, exact. And you had to assemble it yourself. I was like, yeah, see, so yeah, it's close to three grand, but that's not maple. Like he was telling me it was maple. Like that's not maple, dude. That's particle board made to look like maple. Yeah. And probably mass produced and everything. So definitely not the same item. Right. Exactly. And I was like, I also have a saying, uh, we don't particle price board match. falls apart too, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've I've Absolutely. had particle board that fell apart real. Quick. And that's spill kind drink of why you're ruined. Yeah, yeah, spill a drink. Yeah, and that's why I started this business. Is I was so tired of you know I've bought furniture in the past. You know I didn't always have my own woodworking shop. I mean now I don't buy anything. If I want something, I make it. But um, in the past, I've bought particle board and it's fallen apart, and it's just so frustrating when you pay hundreds or thousands of dollars or something. And then you move and it gets a little bit of, you know, rain on it or something and it's ruined. And I was like, man, they don't make them like they used to. And that's what started it. And I was like, (laughs) well, somebody's got to. Yeah. So I run into some similar issues as you um, with, with uh, one of my businesses and that it's, it's very geographically limited. You know, um, I have a perishable product and it doesn't really ship. So, you know, whereas yours, it's really, you know, heavy. Um, so, you know, shipping can be a challenge. Um, you'd um, alluded to the fact you might be working on a solution to that kind of thing. Do you want to go into that a little? Yeah, uh, man, I'd love to. So I'm actually really excited about this. And I wish I could remember the woman's name on Twitter. I posted a, a, a table 
a table, two benches and two chairs for sale. And I was essentially giving it away for the cost of materials um, just because I want to build a new one. And it's actually the table I'm sitting at right now. And she was like, I'd love to buy this, but I live all the way across the country. And I was like, well, I guess that's out. And um, but that got me thinking. And I was like, how can I deliver you know, it's easy to send cutting boards and like whiskey boards that I've made. I've sent them to Alaska. I've sent them to Texas. Um, and that's not too bad, but to get these bigger items across the country, I was like, how can I package this to where I can give them what they want without breaking the bank and still staying pretty competitive. And I had this idea and I think this is something we're probably going to start doing in the next couple months, hopefully not that long, but I'm being conservative here. So let's say uh, you wanted like a built-in shelving unit or you wanted a built-in or like a trash can holder, like I mentioned, right? So we would still design it out exactly how you wanted it. And I would still build it. But the difference is when, even when you do joinery, you have to glue it together. And the combination of modern glue and traditional joinery is why I back my product so much because glue is insanely strong. It's something like 700 times or 70 times stronger than just screwing something. So, which we don't screw things by the way. Uh, but so what I would do is I would assemble it without glue and then I would take it apart and package and label it. So it's like, okay, this piece is labeled A and this piece is labeled A and they go together and there would be uh, corresponding mortise and tenon or, you know, dado and rabbit. Like if you don't understand this, it's just, just different kinds of joinery. And you would essentially open the package, which would be relatively flat and then be able to assemble it with nothing more than a bottle of glue that you can pick up from Home Depot for like probably 10 to 15 bucks. Oh, cool. So kind of like high quality Ikea. Exactly. <laughs> like exactly like that. That's a perfect analogies. So like it would all still be hand cut joinery. Um, it would still be built traditionally. The only difference would be is we would have label pieces and instruction and it would most likely be unfinished. Some products could be finished, but finished surfaces cannot be joined together properly. So um, in theory, most things could probably be finished if need be, but then you would just assemble it and you'd be done. So I love a couple things about this and you could probably take this in two different ways, depending on how you wanted to like market it too. But like, like one, um, this is great just because it gets your product out there. And like we, um, we ordered some furniture uh, this summer and I mean, nothing at all fancy. I mean, cheap furniture. We're, uh, you know, <laughs> just trying to fill a house here. Um, and all that shit came unassembled and we had to build it all ourselves. You know, I mean, screws, I mean, it was a whole thing. So it's not out of line to, suggest that the customer assemble it right and then another thing especially if you're talking about like it has to be finished and stuff or in some cases you know whatever um varnish or whatever you call it like that's almost like it's almost like okay so there's a lot of things that are like like kits are kind of big so there's like knife kits where you build your own knife you order the kit and they send you and it's like a fun project you know so people actively like see things like that out too so it might you know that might even be a hey you know you get this and you get to do just enough work on it to feel like you accomplished something but you know leave the power tools to the professionals kind of thing um 
I can really see people getting into that. That's pretty neat. Yeah, and that's exactly what I thought. I was like, man, anyone can, not that I discourage this because this is what I do mostly for a living now is, you know, anybody can go out and buy one. And if you want to hit me up, but if you want to build one, um, I was thinking that would be a good way for the consumer to connect with their own piece. So if somebody came in and was like, wow, that's a beautiful whatever. And where'd you get it? And it's like, oh, I got it from this company out in Virginia. And like they shipped it to us and we put it together and we painted and stained all that. Like, yeah, we built that after, you know, they did the fancy stuff. Like it was great. And then on a more local level, something else I'm considering doing is say, uh, you guys probably don't, but say you were living in Virginia and you're like, man, I want to, I want to build this, but I don't want, I want to feel a connection with it. And so I'm thinking what I might do is maybe on a small scale level, begin letting people into the shop to work side by side with me and Rob and actually build your piece. So like you, so like they, they assist you guys in building it or you assist them in building it? So I would see it more as we assist you. Like if you're coming into my shop, I'm not going to let you just sit there and watch me. Like you might as well have just stayed home. But if you want to build something and you want to learn, I'm more than happy to welcome you in, let you build whatever you want to build. And if we see you about to mess up, at least you have somebody with the experience to go, uh, you may want to double check that before you cut it because wood is one of those materials. It's not like fabrication. Fabrication is an additive process. So it's like, ah, oh, this piece is a metal is just a little short. No big deal. We'll just weld it together. You know, bing, bang, boom, done. Wood's not like that. It's always better to err on the side of caution and trim more off than it is to try and put some back. Cause once it's gone, it's gone, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just need to go over our, uh, our other sponsor here real fast. Um, we're, we're also sponsored by default cryptocurrency, a great cryptocurrency mm-hmm. project, very innovative, um, for a small cap coin. It's a proof of work coin that you can, um, stake to get interest on. And, uh, I was able to cold stake in like two seconds. It's just so seam- seamless to, to cold stake. Very nice. Um, they're also doing things like DeFi. Uh, what else are they doing? Uh, doing DeFi, a privacy with Terraform. Uh, yeah, privacy with Terraform. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> and <Got you> um, <laughs> and and other stuff. So definitely check out um, Devault cryptocurrency. They're definitely worth it. Uh, with that said, yeah. I was going to say, man. Actually, speaking of crypto, we take crypto. Oh, Good. nice. So Good. Which yeah, which, yeah, man. which How- ones do you accept? Do you accept most of them or? So unfortunately, no, not yet, but I plan to, um, my thing is, so right now to answer your question, we accept Bitcoin. Um, I know some people have a problem with Bitcoin and transaction fees and transaction time. I understand. Um, unfortunately I am not the most educated when it comes to crypto. Um, so before I stake my product on something, I want to ensure that it actually has value. So yes, we will be accepting more crypto in the future. Um, But as of now, it is only Bitcoin. I listened to you guys talk about Bitcoin Cash, and that is probably going to be the next move after I do just a little bit more research. 
Okay, sure. great. Yeah, and um, if you need anything, uh, let me know. I'm more than willing to help you out with anything. Yeah, and I've um I've been through because I I wanted to accept crypto for both my farm like in person, um you know at farmers markets, and then also on like uh, my website and stuff. Um, so I've sort of been through um. I've got a little bit of experience in like the, the uh, crypto POSs and everything. So feel free to holler at me, man. I'd be more than happy to help you get set up with any of those. If you, uh, you know, have any questions or anything. Cause yeah, um, cause yeah I'm in a, I'm in a similar, similar boat, you know, like the, the Bitcoin, um, the transaction fees are very high um, currently. So it, you know, using it as an everyday transaction, something like I'm sure a lot of your furniture is more than just a couple bucks. So, you know, it might not be as big, of, as big of a chunk, but yeah, for just like a $2 item or something, you know what I mean? It, it, it can be a little tough. Right. So something like Bitcoin Cash, having that as an option uh, could be nice for sure. Yeah. And we really haven't ran into an issue um, with Bitcoin yet as far as transaction fees, because also to further incentivize people to use Bitcoin with us, we also knock 10% off. So say it's a thousand dollar table or whatever we would actually only charge you 900 of the current value of Bitcoin. So even if you had a $30 transaction fee, you're still saving, depending on how you want to look at it, $70. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a win all the way around. I I do the same thing to try to incentivize as I give like a discount um, for my farmer's market stuff. It's like 10%, uh, which I've never had anybody pay with crypto at the farmer's market, but I have a sign up, you know, if anything else, it's conversations. And, you know, it's, I just think that, you know, for business owners to offer incentives and to encourage, you know, the, the everyday use of it. I just think that's really important. Um, even if it doesn't happen, but it brings up conversations, let people know it exists, let people know, hey, this is a thing. Hey, you can use it. Hey, you know, I'm here to help, <laughs> you know, if, if, you, if it's something you're curious about. But, you know, we have to really make the initiative, accept it and, you know, accept it for, you know, our, our regular business. You know, I, I, I don't know, man, if I ran just like a, a whatever, a coffee shop or something taking crypto, I just feel like, I feel like my accountant would be like, oh, God, I got to deal with this and taxes and, you know, the laws on that change every year. So, you know, I imagine that might be a little bit of a pain, but, you know, doing what we do, it's yeah. it's no sweat, <laughs> no sweat at all. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, that's the only way we're going to win, man. Like, that's what yeah. it comes down to. As long as people are willing to work and trade and transact in monopoly money, we're going to use monopoly money. Um, you look at we, right? I know we're talking about finances, but let's look at weed for a second and how marijuana started as a grassroots movement and slowly gain, gain traction over time and over time. And now it's like of this, you know, it's really got some traction behind it. And we're seeing decriminalization, legalization. Um, we're seeing at least steps in the right direction. I'm not saying it's all good and that I want the ATF or the Virginia ABC involved in marijuana sales, but at least we're not throwing people in cages, right? So it's a step in the right direction. And the same goes with cryptocurrency. If we don't start at a lower level, we'll never build it to where we want it to be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah you you got to get in there. And, and you know, with the, like you're talking about with the weed though, it's just like, even the places where it's legal, there's still a significant black market in it. So, you know, I'm still comfortable. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, Man, I live and die by the gray market. It's like, is furniture illegal? <laughs> no. Right. Is it right. exactly white market? No. You know, we're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I, I'd be willing to bet in like North Carolina, because that's like a huge like industrial furniture center is like North or South Carolina, right? I bet you there, 
I I don't know this, but I'd be willing to bet there are some sort of laws against selling furniture that like you make or something like that in that state, just because that's the way things go. <laughs> you know, if there's a big industry yeah. there, it's probably legal for you to do it yourself. <laughs> right. And I mean, a couple years ago, I mean, you talk about, you know, the laws there in Virginia, there's actually a, actually it might be a federal law. I'm not real sure, but there's a law about how much tobacco you can grow. And even yeah. if it's for personal use and it's just like, really? Like it's for me. Like, what does this have anything to do with you? Like you stay over there. I'll stay over here and you have a good one. <laughs> I had a friend who lived in South Carolina and their family got paid to not grow tobacco. They were never tobacco farmers. They never had any intentions of growing tobacco, but damn it. The state paid them thousands of dollars a year to not do it. Uh, that just shows you how corrupt the, Corrupt the whole industry is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's so many accounts that we could reference on the pay the state not paying or paying people to not grow, you know. So, um, so let's um, we can switch gears a little bit here, man. Um, let's. I'd like to talk a little bit about your um. So you're you're a firefighter and you still actively do that, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Um, so you were saying that you were, you were telling me earlier how you're sort of working on and, and, and out from that into like maybe just working more for yourself or what, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? What's, what's going on there? Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm a firefighter paramedic. Um, I'm paid full time as a professional. I've been doing that for, uh, since yeah, about seven coming up on seven years. And as a professional, I volunteered for three years before that. And I can tell you, man, like the grind of bureaucracy and government is real. Like it, it takes a special kind of person to to do those 20 years. Um, we do have those, you know, blue pilled status that really just they just they're there. Right. And they're there until retirement. But if you get red pilled or you have any sense of freedom, um, or like you're a liberty minded person, it's going to be an uphill battle. And the longer you stay, the worse it gets because they incentivize you with retirement at 25 years. In most cases, like for full retirement is 25 years for me. And it's like, Oh, only 18 more to go. And I'm like, Holy shit, I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this is miserable. And then I'm like, okay, well I'll take uh, a reduced retirement at 20. And then you're like, okay, well, that's only, you know, 13 years. And then it's like, holy shit, I'm not even like, I'm about a third of the way there. Like, <laughs> this is miserable. Um, it's, it's kind of a unique profession because there is no other option. You know, if you want to be a firefighter, you are essentially are going to work for the government. And whichever way the government goes, you go. So like this big COVID thing has been a big eye opener to some people. And, you know, it's only solidified my decision that I would like to leave. You know, I would very much like to leave. So you're just not even worried about making the 20 years or just, you're no, just, you just can't, hand, I don't no. say can't handle it. That makes it sound, you know, weak. That's not what I mean, but. <laughs> oh no, no. Like I absolutely can't handle it. And it's not the job yeah. I can't handle. Um, there is an absolute unrealistic disconnect between the upper echelon of most fire departments 
and the people on the street actually doing the job. And every day, the people up in the upper echelon put policies in place that make your job exponentially harder. And with the development of a culture that is very prone to lawsuits, it is a profession I would strongly advise people to reconsider before joining. And that sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. It's one of those things where it can just drain you down. And it's not the job per se. Um, it's the continuous grind of fighting administration and a systemic abuse of emergency medical services, in particular emergency medical services. How bad is it that like your job is fighting fires and that's not even the hardest part? You know? <laughs> yeah yeah it's like government (laughs) government regulations (laughs) no one's ever phrased it that way um you talk to to most firefighters and like that's the reason they go to work like they go to work and they it's kind of like the best way i can describe it is you spend years of your life honing this skill right for a worst case scenario and you hone your skill, you constantly work on it, and you you tweak it and try to perfect every little detail that goes into this craft. And then this craft never happens, which is not a bad thing. The development of fire prevention through public education and sprinklers has worked so well that we're just not fighting fires like we used to. And car crashes, um, the, the cars are the car industry has moved towards safety so quickly that some of the cars we see, you would be like, that person's dead. No way they survived dead on impact. And they just get out and walk away. And it's not not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But if you think that's what being a fireman's all about, that is not what you do on a typical day. Like a typical day is far more uneventful and you'll find yourself going like, man, what the hell am I doing here? Like, why am I even being paid right now? And that's what another reason I want to get out is I feel like it's just theft. Like people don't have an option on whether they pay me or not. And I'm just kind of there. And the argument is, well, if I'm not there, someone else will be there. So it doesn't matter. But it's a it's a personal decision. You know, it's like, well, that's fine, but it ain't going to be me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's and I there's even like, okay, like, okay, like. Oh gosh, it's gonna sound terrible. Like, okay, like I don't necessarily have a problem per se with like somebody selling heroin, right? But I couldn't sell heroin because I have a moral issue with that, like personally. But like, you know, like I don't think that that's like a violation of not a grinser principle doing that act, you know. Um, so right. you know, and somebody will fill that market, and I that's I'm okay with that. I believe in markets gonna happen, you know, but I don't have to participate in it, you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I, I feel you. And sometimes it's like, um, it is just like, like, I, uh, let's say someone like taking like unemployment or something, you know, I don't have an issue with that, you know, like, yeah, they pay into it, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't want to take unemployment, you know, just because I, I, I don't know. I just don't. So, um, I, I, I get rude. Um, and then, and then, yeah, it'd just be nice to be able to have a private option, you know, and things like that, you know, maybe somebody could 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 run things better you know most people even like anarchists don't have a big issue with firefighters or the fire department right like out of all the government services it's probably the one that i would bitch about the least you know um (laughs) yeah 
but it's it's unfortunate to hear that it is still such a bureaucratic mess, you know, because I've, I've known several firefighters and most of them very passionate about the job. Um, most of them very good dudes, you know, and um, but but yeah, I guess it's I, I guess no matter what, man, it's just, it's just the way, you know, bureaucracy goes. You know, you um, we were talking about Pat, uh, Pat earlier, and he he does a lot of work on like the bureaucracy in, uh, in government services and stuff. And it's, you know, it's it's really infuriating. And, you know, like you were saying, the way that they, you know, incentivize you to stay with um with retirement and stuff, it's just like. You get in, you're there for a couple of years, like even if you're like a cop or something, and you're like, okay, never mind, this is awful. But then it's like, you know, they, they kind of got you at that point, right? Because right, yeah, it's it's an it's an evolution, and it's it's cyclic, man. Um, so at 25 years, if I was to retire, I would bring home about five thousand dollars a month, literally That's just nice. for maintaining a pulse. Yeah, like now, granted, of course, it's taxed. Of course, but right. you know, still five thousand um, dollars. But at the same time, it's it's almost like to me, it's not worth it. I can tell you, they they're like, okay, you're going to pay into this retirement, and you're going to put in your time, and once you're done, you'll get return on investment. Okay, I'm familiar with the concept. That's that's common even in the private market, right? Um, with matching four hundred one k or whatever. Um, now, when I leave the fire department, say I leave this year, every, I'm vested in Virginia's, Virginia's retirement system. So because of the time I've put in, every penny that I've put in, I will get back. Now, if I take that money and I'm smart with it, even though it's monopoly money, I can get more return in on, on investment it by implementing it intelligently if that makes sense oh definitely i mean do you um, kind of see what i'm saying thing. yeah well it's like social security you're lucky if you get a one percent return if if you ever get paid you know so it's like and i've had people say well we need it because otherwise people wouldn't plan for their retirement i'm like well that's on you dude because that's the worst bet you could make you know exactly um, exactly take half and that money like, and invest it wisely and you'll do better exactly and that's a, that's precisely how i feel um, I don't need their retirement. I, I just don't, you know, I'm perfectly content. The other thing is I'm perfectly content doing my woodworking for the rest of my life until I die, until I fucking die. Like if I work to that point, I'm fine with that because it's on my terms where I want to be with my family and I love doing it. And there's no bureaucracy involved and that's to me that's freedom like retirement has a different definition for everybody some people are like yeah i want to do nothing i'm not one of those people like i can't just do nothing i have to be constantly doing something so for me to work i would work even if i retired from the fire department i would go back to doing woodworking so why would i stay and be miserable for 13 more years why not just woodwork i feel you it's like it's like people see like, you know, like retirement is this golden, you know, like end, you know, this, this, this end of this big toiling period of your life that finally I get to relax and enjoy life. And it's like, why, like, I'd rather just do that throughout, you know, my, my whole life. And because then by the time you actually quote unquote retire, you're too old to do whatever the fuck it was you wanted to do anyhow, you know? Exactly. So it's exactly like, why wouldn't I just do my thing? I mean, until I physically can't, like, I'm going to work my farm, you know, because that's what I want to do. You know, so yeah, why not have that be my job? <laughs> yeah, not to mention yeah, firemen man. are like 
70% more likely to develop cancer. And most of them die within like five to 10 years of retirement. So, you know, being constantly exposed to hydrogen cyanide and carbon monoxide and all these byproducts of combustion and off-gassing of modern furniture that's built like junk, it gets in you and then you develop cancer and you die. So like this deal to me, this doesn't sound like a whole good plan. Like I'm not down with this deal. I would rather go my separate way. Like if I'm gonna get cancer, it's because I made dumb decisions, smoking or dipping or whatever, like on my terms, <laughs> you know, but at least I got to enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. And you know, that's another part of the fire department. Like people don't realize, you know, I'm sure you've heard people in the military say you give up your rights when you join the military. I'm, I mean, you yeah, sign them away. It's, it's, this, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same with the fire department. So, um, I don't understand how this is legal, but somehow it is. When you work for most fire departments, you have to just, you have to sign a tobacco policy or a no nicotine policy where you can't smoke, you can't dip, you can't use the patch, you can't have a cigar, and then of course all the other stuff you can't do like weed and, you know, meth and anything else. But um, you know, even something legal like tobacco is forbidden. So, you know, so I'm, I'm just they saying want you to be in tip top health or is there a reason for that or, or uh, money or? because of insurance. So because ah, we're okay. more prone gotcha. to cancer, they can't, they want to mm, be able okay. to say that it was 100% from the job, but yeah. Gotcha. I mean, gotcha. Overall, I would say most firefighters and paramedics got into the field for the right reasons. You know, we, we're all here because mm -hmm. we wanted to help people. And the reality of it is that most of the time that ain't what happening. Um, it's just not the abuse of the EMS system has gotten to a point that is intolerable by anybody that has any significant amount of time in it. And the <laughs> the issue is that the bureaucracy or the government in power has essentially incentivized the abuse because to give you a quick rundown, basically what happens is most people aren't aware that emergency medical services that are municipal are what they call compassionate billing. So say, you know, dad calls an ambulance, he goes to the hospital and he doesn't pay his bill. They send you another bill, you don't pay. You send, They send you another bill, you don't pay. Well, then they write it off and it goes back to the taxpayers. So realistically, even though you called for, uh, I don't know, toe pain, bloody nose, dizziness, uh, all way too common calls, the majority of our calls sound something like that. Um, even though you called for essentially a very minor issue, that fee that you occurred is being redistributed amongst the taxpayers. And that's what bothers me. Rather than just say, hey, you son of a bitch, you're gonna pay your fucking bills. Like, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Your neighbor's got it. He's never called in his life. He does everything he's supposed to do, but he's gonna pick the bill up for you. I think another thing too is is government makes healthcare so expensive that it's like it's like they, they get they kind of get stuck. It's like well, do I want to eat or do I want to try to pay this medical bill? And, um, you know, so they kind of put everybody in this really bad situation 
Um, but yeah, it, I, I think a lot of this could be solved. And I think you guys were talking about this earlier. If, um, if we just, you know, basically have competition and, and, you know, private markets, I, I think, um, you know, even with this, um, Detroit in Detroit, they've got private police and, uh, it's like a security firm and, Detroit threat management, I believe you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, because that that's them, and uh, you know, surprisingly enough, they've been open for three years. They haven't like murdered any of their customers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, they've got high reviews, and it's like they're actually trying to like serve the customer instead of like you know uh, when when you go to the DMV or you know when you have an interaction with the cop or something, it's like they don't care if they're assholes because there's no consequence. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I just think it could all be solved by the free market. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's another great thing about agorism is that we're willing to try to a- achieve, a, you know, achieve that goal of, of being free and, you know, creating our own free market. Yeah. I mean, it's like, do you, have you ever wondered why, like, you don't see people getting transported by helicopter all the time? Like, I mean, on the West Coast, it's a little, I don't know where you guys are at, but like in the more rural areas like Montana, Wyoming, it's a little more popular. But like out where I'm at, you never see it. I don't know about you guys, um, but I, I see it occasionally, medical, like, but not much. Yeah. And that's because those are private companies. And when you fly in that helicopter, you just incurred at least a $30,000 bill and they're going to hold you to that. Like they are not going to redistribute that. That is on you. So yeah. it's just something I like to think about because, I mean, realistically, privatization could solve a vast majority of the problems that we see in most government agencies. But at the same time, why would the government entertain it when it's footing the bill? Like they're able to justify the system of taxation through these services that a majority of pe- majority of people don't even use. Yeah. I had somebody recently um, say, Oh, well, you know, if you know, we didn't have government, you know, we shouldn't have firefighters in. And I'm like, no, I've never said we shouldn't have firefighters. <laughs> you know, like there is another way that this could be done. Man, um, I'm going to tell you, if I could go work for a private fire department, I would do it in a heartbeat. You know, I, it's not that I don't like firefighting and I don't like helping people. I'm just tired of the bureaucratic bullshit that comes along with it. Yeah. In the last a, yeah, two months. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine working for the government. <laughs> yeah. In the last two months, like I seem to have a target on me, man. Like they are coming down on me hard and like specifically me for some reason. I can't imagine why, but um, uh, it's make your all it is known or very well known <laughs> okay <laughs> like there are some people that are like oh yeah you know i don't talk about this stuff outside of my podcast no like i am when somebody opens the window i'll drop bombs it's like yeah, oh man i'm pretty like, vocal you know, too so yeah people, like people end up somebody, like oh that guy's you know we don't like him you know <laughs> yeah and like somebody at work was like yeah i know somebody their son died in iraq it was horrible i was like yeah horrible we were fucking there like, and people are like, oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, well, you know. So I'm, yeah, I'm very outspoken about my views. I mean, that, that's the time you bring it up, too. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be too callous, you know, when someone's, like, child dies. But it's like, 
you know, it's like, like, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, Oh damn Islam or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. It, it was the fucking United States government that sent him there. Like that's the person you'd be upset with, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, you gotta, and you, you know, use that opportunity to point that I, out. I had a guy at work uh, a couple months back. He was like, Oh yeah. You know, the war in the Middle East, like he just, I mean, fucking pick one. He's going to go along and say that it's necessary. And I was like, how necessary is it, man? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, is it necessary enough for your son to come home in a box? And he like got silent. And I was like, guess it's not that necessary, is it? Like, as long as it's not your kid, it's fine. But the moment it's your kid dying for nothing, it matters. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty big anti-war advocate and, uh, uh I mean, that's the first thing you'll see me launch bombs over. Ironically, you know, launch bombs, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll throw stones at that glass house. Yeah, for sure, bro. Same here. I'm uh, the same way. I mean, it really is though the most blatant, I mean, you could probably make arguments that economic stuff or the federal reserve kills more people or something. I don't know, but like, but like, man, I mean, they're like you said, they're literally fucking blowing people up you know or, yeah. or star what they do even more is star, starve them to death you know through embargoes and sanctions and stuff like that you know and people see that as a nicer alternative to war and it's like oh it's still war dude you know um, yeah so. yeah it it, it 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 sucks man it's like that and like the war on drugs are like my two real big like bugaboos yeah with the state you know i mean they're just like the most blatant just disregard you know how do i say this disregardness of human life you know um but yeah it's it, it, it is really sad for sure um so that was um bright and uplifting uh topic there yeah uh, do don't, we, do don't we... get don't get me black pilled man I'll, I'll go down a rabbit hole and next thing you know the entire mood will be killed like you know but um do uh, man this is this has been spectacular dude um it's been a hoot do you, do you have anything else uh that you wanted to go over anything brandon um no i've Nah, I think you pretty I, um, much answered all my questions for sure. So. I um, oh, you know what? I did actually have one one. Uh, maybe we make this quick thing I've written down here. Um, what do you do with like, let's say you're like waste, like bits and pieces of wood from your? Do you use it on the homestead somehow? Like, do you compost it, or do you? Does your girl then take it, and make other projects out of it, or what? Do you, what do you do with your waste waste products? All of that. So, um, a lot of times, what I'll do is I'll save larger scrap pieces to try and uh, reuse on other projects, or my wife will make them into signs, or you know, we'll, uh, kind of stuff like that. But all the sawdust that I use, because a lot of people are like, "How much sawdust do you have?" And the answer is a lot. So I <laughs> use deep bedding sawdust for my chickens um i use it to make compost uh pretty much anything you can think of doesn't go to waste like the whole permaculture uh ideology is pretty much what i try to live by like waste as little as possible and reuse stuff so um that's pretty much what we do with it a lot of it is composting and deep bedding when it comes to sawdust and then the scraps either get reused or made into something else excellent my my like goal in life is accumulate as much carbon as i can for compost property so like man if you yeah, were closer idea, i know a guy <laughs> yeah. dude i take truckloads of it really because I, I with my chickens and then compost yeah man i i actually have a my neighbor has a buddy who has a sawmill you know a few five gallon buckets from time to time yeah i actually yeah. if you didn't mind i wanted to mention one more thing yeah please yeah. do 
Um, you mentioned sawmill, and if it matters to some people, I know a lot of people ask where we get our wood from. Uh, we currently use all locally milled and harvested hardwoods from Virginia, but we're actually, come June, we're switching to a 100% agorist model where we'll be using all hardwoods from an agorist uh, gentleman that is actually getting a wood mill. So all of our wood from the tree to the finest final product will be completely encased in agorism. So does that mean something to some people? It means yeah. something to me, man. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, I know where I'll be getting all my stuff from. <laughs> um, just well, because I think that, you know, like people, you know, like, hold on, form a coherent thought. So like out in like California, the wildfires, et cetera. Oh, it's global warming or what fuck ever, you know, trees are just bursting into flames. And oh, you're a firefighter, right? Too. You might even have better insight on this. But it's like, you know, people were making fun of Trump for saying, oh, they need to rape the forest. And it's like, well, like, obviously, like he said it stupidly, but like that's not untrue. You know, it's like you need to like manage forests, you know. And like if I had a couple hundred acres or a hundred acres of woods, like I'd get a sawmill and I'd do like an acre a year, clean it the fuck out. Mill it and then let, yeah. let it come back. But that needs to happen. That's how forests stay healthy. That's exactly what this guy is doing. He's got, he's a good friend of mine. He's got a large amount of land. And we actually recently went and walked the property. And I was like, hey, what are you doing with that tree? And he's like, uh, I think I'm cutting it down. I was like, you want to mill it up for me? He's like, yeah, I'll mill it. So I'll be getting, and he's undercutting my current miller, which is nice. So we'll have like a little partnership oh, shit, and yeah. we're going to third party kiln dry it. So it's, it's going to be a good little, good little business for him and me. So. That is excellent. Um, so yeah, guys, it's, um, agoriswoodwork.com. Uh, go check out his stuff. It's a cool website. Got some cool, uh, yep. cool photos and everything there. I absolutely love the farm sink butcher block. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and sink. you can follow us on, Instagram, Agris Woodwork. Facebook is Agris Woodworking. And then Twitter is my personal one, Liberty Medic, Medic Man. Liberty Medic Man. And uh, I post a bunch of wood, st- wood stuff on there as well. And if, if you want to list on um, a Gorsh Nexus, we'll, we'll feature you for free. It'd be, a, it'd be an honor to have you on there. Yep. I'm going to get with you guys after we're recording and I'm going to have you guys walk me through it. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> So. All right. Um, well then, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'm good then. If uh, you got a quote or anything, Brandon? Yeah, I got a quote. We'll wrap it up here. Um, Anarchy is all around us. Without it, our world would fall apart. All progress is due to it. All order extends from it. All blessed things that rise above the state of nature are own to it. The human race th- thrives only because of a lack of control, not because of it. I'm saying that we need ever more absence of control to make the world more beautiful. It is a paradox that we must forever. Jeffrey Tucker, Agoras Nexus out.